looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline, it is for discipline that you may, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seems, seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's speak to God. All right. Good to see everybody. Um, man, this has been such a good series for us. If you're new to Frontline, um, we have been in a series called Forgotten Father, and this is week four. This is the last week of the series. And next week, uh, we decided we wanted to preach something really easy, and so we're going to start the book of Job. Um, Not sure what came over us to make that decision, but no, man, there's so much for us in the book of Job. Um, As a matter of fact, I believe that God is going to meet us um, and and give us a healthy um, fear of the Lord and also give us a healthy understanding of what suffering is. That starts next week. We have invite cards for you guys. We'll have them ready at at the, the exits. Grab a stack of those invite cards You have friends that are um, maybe really experiencing suffering right now, or they just ask the question of like, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people, which everybody asks all the time? Tell them to come to Job. We want to we want to try and help answer that question next week. So grab some of those invite cards on your way out. But this particular series, Forgotten Father, ends today, and it's been four weeks now. And man, God has done so much in our church. I don't know if there's been a series that I've personally felt more impact from and that also I've just gotten more feedback from our church, um, how God is reconciling, how the Holy Spirit is reconciling us and our view of God the Father. Because if I were to ask you simply, tell me about the Trinity and let's start with the Son, you would say, I love Jesus, man. Jesus is, he's my God. Love him. He, he died for me. I believe that. He's really kind and compassionate. Jesus has a lot of patience for people. Seems like he'd be a pretty cool hang. Probably true. 
If I were to ask you about God the Son, you'd have a lot to say. If I ask you about God the Spirit, you would probably say, some, well, in this church, we're a charismatic church, FYI, uh, but given the uh, uh, amount of trepidation we have towards the gifts and toward the Spirit, you might be like, yeah, I know the Holy Spirit is God, I just think he's weird. <laughs> I just think he's a little weird. But he's God, I, I'm pretty, no, he is God, but he's like, he's a part of the family, he's a part of the Trinity, but it's like the party, it's like go to the family party and you've always got the one weird uncle that has like the magic tricks and that's the Holy Spirit. So some of us would say, we love the Holy Spirit. I mean, we'd all say we love the Holy Spirit, but some of us are working on our theology of the Holy Spirit. So you'd have a lot to say about the Son, and you'd have some things at least to say about the Holy Spirit. But then I, if I ask you, I want you to, to describe God the Father to me. What would you say? How would you even approach that answer? You would think about the Old Testament probably. You would think about... Well, mainly you would think about the Old Testament, well, how God reacted in certain situations. Then you would think about your own dad, probably, and you would attribute you know, some of your dad's attributes to God, which all of that gets really dangerous. You might have had the best dad in the world. You could have, literally the best dad of all time, and you still would need to work through some wounds from your dad he's a human being a lot of us didn't have great dads we had not good dads we had absent dads so it's a really dangerous game for us to try and describe God the father using our dads as examples it just doesn't work out God the father is perfect he is without sin so describe the son no problem describe the Holy Spirit I, okay, I can do it. Give me a little bit of time. Describe God the Father, and we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go or how to act, and it's really detrimental to us because all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves um, worshiping a non-Trinitarian God, and that's not God at all. God is three in one. We need a faith that's Trinitarian. We need to worship the Father and the Son, and the Spirit, three in one. Because if we stop short of that, then we're not worshiping true God at all. We're just worshiping two-thirds of him. And that's not really God. So for us to describe Jesus and say, I know him, I love him, well then, what we have to come to realization is, if Jesus were here and having this conversation with us, and he asked us the same question, describe the Father, he would probably get really frustrated with us. Like he did with Philip and John. When Philip said, show us the Father and we'd be okay. And Jesus says, haven't I told you? Haven't you seen my works? Haven't you heard? When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What an amazing thing. How do we know what God the Father's like? Look at Jesus. His compassion his care, his love, his devotion, his passion. 
It wasn't just Jesus that set his face like flint towards the cross. It was the Father's heart in him, through him. We need a Trinitarian faith. We've learned that God the Father loves us. He is not like our earthly dads, although we love them. And we've learned that through Jesus, we can have a right relationship with God the Father. Because of the work of Jesus, we can say those words that Jesus cried out in the garden, Abba, Father, which means family, God, family, Father. Pretty amazing. But there's something we gotta talk about today that you do not wanna talk about, guaranteed. The whole world doesn't wanna talk about it. It's this word, man. It's become a four-letter word for us. We think that this word is anti-God. It's anti-love. And that's the word discipline. The Father's love for us in and through his discipline to us. Because here's the reality. Love and discipline are the same thing. They're the same thing. In the world, in life, our whole culture has such a twisted view of love. Our culture would say that love means you get to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, however you want to do it. As a matter of fact, if you're unsatisfied with anything at all about yourself, just change it. You can actually change your own identity, your own gender, your sexual orientation, In love, according to the whole world, is you do you, man. You do you. There's no parameters. Nobody's looking past their nose to see if there's a cliff we're going to fall off. God's the only one in the room that can see past his nose. So we just applaud whatever it is we have the impulse for in that moment. We don't pay attention to like natural order. We don't pay attention to the creator. We don't pay attention to any of those things. We just say, whatever you want to do, it must be love for you to feel some sort of sense of happiness all the time. When your happiness is not even real. It's just impulsive. What happens when you're not happy in your marriage? (laughs) For no reason. What happens when you do what you do and what I do and you just wake up one day and you're in a bad mood and you don't even know why? That happens to everybody in the room. Do you all of a sudden just change everything in your whole life because that one day you were unhappy? Well, then what happens the next day when you wake up and you're like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I really like those things I threw out. Happiness is like, it's just like cool. It changes every second. So we can't attach to happiness. And we can't attach love to happiness. There's a deeper thing. How do we get with James when he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials because they're producing perseverance or maturity? How do we get with that? We need discipline in our life. We want the Father. We want all the benefits of the Father, the benefits of the covenant, without actually being in covenant. We want to live in the house of God without actually having a parent. And we can't do that. You're not the parent and neither am I. We need a patriarch. And in God's house, he is the Father. He's the one that oversees. He's the one that tells us how far. 
He's the one that tells us to go no further. He's the only one that can see the actual cliff that we're about to walk off. That's why Proverbs 27, 6 is so important for us because it says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Your enemy is the one that tells you, do, you just do whatever you want. A friend is the one that tells you, hold on, just wait a minute. You're about to go somewhere that you can't, you shouldn't go. Trust me. Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And when we see Jesus, we see the Father. So Father God is our parent. He oversees us. He is he loves us and he displays his love for us in his discipline. One of the ways that we can be absolutely sure um, that we are a son or daughter of God, or, and what I mean by that is one of the ways that we can be sure that we are Christians, that we are in God's household, because Lord knows we doubt it. <laughs> we doubt it. Let me just let the cat out of the bag. I'm a pastor. I doubt it. When I think about my heart, when I think about my mind, when I think about my, the sin in my life and how um, little I feel like I've changed at times, um, the reality is, is man, I, there, are, there are times that I wake up and I, I just go, am I even, I don't see any fruit right now. Am I even a son of God? We doubt. And let me just tell you, you it's okay to doubt. I'm not telling you to go on and pursue doubting. I'm just telling you, when you doubt, let's just be honest, you do. When you doubt, God is not scared of your doubts. He's got the answers. So we go to God with our doubts, and one of the best ways that we can push back the darkness of doubt and fear in our life is through discipline. If you are being disciplined... It's one of the ways that you know that you are without a doubt a son of God, without a doubt a daughter of God. Hebrews 12 and 5, 5 and 7. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. That's amazing. And he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. I love this. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Exhortation, that word is a strong call. It's, it's an urge. I mean, just imagine God yelling. Have you forgotten the exhortation? What he's saying here, the exhortation that addresses you as sons is essentially God yelling at us, you are my son, and he's got a smile on his face. And the way that he yells at us, the means by which he says that, is through discipline. We want just words, we don't want action, and what we need is action. We need God, time and time again, proves that he loves us and that we're his children. And the way that he does that is through disciplining us. It's not harsh, it's not punishment, it's discipline. The Father's heart is to help us grow into our sonship and daughterhood by showing us true and committed love, and we need it. Today, the definition of love looks more like give me what I want than help me become who I'm supposed to be. We want freedom. We want autonomy and self-expression. The culture um, we live in, you and I included, define love by being totally accepting of whatever we do. 
Telling someone that they are wrong or that they're about to do something wrong has become the equivalent of sending somebody hate mail. We can't imagine. We can't imagine being told that. Tim Keller says this, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. So we've got work to do today around the discipline of God, discipline of the Father. Let's jump into it. The first thing we've got to know is this. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is not punishment. This is a major hurdle for us because when I say discipline, you, you're, it's convoluted in your head. You think about punishment. And it's not punishment. As a matter of fact, if you're a Christian in the room, Jesus has literally taken all of the punishment that you deserved on himself. That's the atonement. He's a worthy sacrifice for our sin. None of that ever comes to you, ever. Discipline is not punishment. Because of our scars, because of our wounds, and because the whole world has scars and wounds, we can't fathom someone correcting us because of love. You can't, I just imagine this. Imagine someone coming to you and with tears in their eyes, saying, I'm worried about you because of this, this, and this. Literal tears. And the heart behind it, the, the tone of their voice, and they're concerned with you. They want you to be well. They don't want you to fall off the cliff. It's hard to imagine that as discipline, isn't it? That actually is, by definition, discipline. That's what the Father does for us. He doesn't view us without a smile on his face. He's proud. He loves you. Because he loves you, he's forming you to look more like his son. It's one of the best ways he can love us. We go immediately to punishment. and We attribute punishment to disapproval, dislike, and annoyance. I mean, one of the great lies in my life has been that God is so incredibly annoyed with me that he's just like so disappointed, like cannot believe how little I've matured in my now almost 40 years on earth. That he keeps putting me in situations that are like crushing situations, really hard and stressful, and, and he's just hoping. God is like, this dude has so much potential if he just would... Do what I want him to do and just keeps putting me in situations where it's like, maybe this time, maybe this crushing moment of his life, maybe this time he will finally get it and finally I'll be able to stay in the same room with him for more than 15 minutes. That's my insecurity. I feel that way about God the Father sometimes. A lot of times. And it becomes subconscious for me. It's just like my mode of operation. I just think like, man, he, I don't think God likes to be around me. I think I produce some things for God and he's good with that. But as far as like spending time with me, being around me, I feel like he's just constantly annoyed. So when anything bad comes my way or when there's any sort of correction, it feels more like a coach, you know, and 
It feels more like punishment. Like I've got to figure out some algorithm. God has this idea of what I'm supposed to be, and, but he's not telling me what it is. And he's so upset that I'll never be that, and I've got to figure it out, and I never figure it out, and he comes against me. You feel that way? I told the first service, I might be the worst, I could be the only one. You ever feel like God's just annoyed? God the Father just like doesn't like who you are? So he's just punishing you all the time? For not being some idealistic version of yourself? I want to go back to that. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. One of the great lies in life is that God is annoyed with me. And so I literally place my identity on God because I'm moody. Because I grow tired of myself. Because I view myself in that way. It's actually idolatry for me to think of God in that way because now I'm just worshiping myself. And God the Father is not me. Somebody said amen. This is a dark lie for us. Nothing can be further from the truth. Discipline is not punishment. It's not punishment. Punishment is, it's a courtroom. There's a judge. There's a jury. There's you. You have to represent yourself. Punishment is the gavel comes down. I don't care about your story. I don't care about your life. I don't care about your family or how hard it is for you or whatever's going on in your life. You did this thing, therefore you get this punishment. Punishment is a courtroom. Discipline is a living room. It's the father and his son. Father and his daughter. It's home. It's safety. It's love. It's gather around with tears in our eyes. We love each other. We know that. What do you want from me, God? Punishment is the breaking of a law. It's justice being served. You broke the law. Here's what you get. You get punishment. I don't even care to talk to you. Discipline is the committed love of a father who wants us to be healthy. See, punishment doesn't care how you turn out. It just wants to get it done. Discipline cares how it turns out. As a matter of fact, that's what discipline is. It's literally caring actively how you turn out. Punishment, no need for relationship. Why does it matter? We're in a courtroom. There's several other cases today. You did this thing. I don't care what your rebuttal is. If you even have one, there's a verdict. Punishment has no need for relationship. Discipline is rooted in relationship. It is because of relationship that we get discipline from the Father. You know why? Why? Because he disciplines those he loves. 
and those that are in relationship with him. Discipline and punishment are far away from each other. It's time for us to start changing our idea of discipline and start welcoming it. James, I mean, how crazy is this verse? Count it joy. Count it joy. That's not just like be okay with it or even like be kind of happy about it. Be joyful when you encounter various trials. Be joyful. It's producing perseverance in you. It's producing maturity. Discipline is not punishment. Also, discipline is formation. It is formation. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To be corrected by the Father is ultimately about our formation. A parent who disciplines in love actually knows it's one of the best ways you can love your kids. And that is to tell them no. Tell them no. <laughs> My mom, I grew up in a, oh goodness, I told this story at 9 o'clock and I guess I haven't regretted it enough to not tell you guys. Uh, I, grew, I grew up in a home. I had a single mom. She's a wonderful man. Didn't have a dad really growing up. And, and um, there's three of us. And there's my brother. who I'm the youngest. Um, there's my bro- which most of you could probably tell. There's my brother who's older. He was the oldest one. My sister and then me. My brother was like, I, I tried to describe our early service. He, it's like somebody ordained him as a minister when he was three years old, you know? He just was perfect. and <laughs> just was like a priestly dude all the time. Super uh, melancholy, never got ruffled, you know? And I was always like just trying to like just pick a fight with him, you know? Just poke at him. Like, dude, you gotta just react, you know? Do something stupid, please. I was the one doing stupid stuff. I needed him to do that as well so I could feel better about myself. And then my sister, she was a good kid too, man. She, uh, she, her and I didn't get along much, um, but she was a good kid. I mean, she just kind of stayed to herself. And then there comes me. I come bebopping along. And I'm like, what, however bad they were supposed to be, both of them just it culminated in me. I just was not, I wasn't a terrible kid, but man, I was sassy and just arrogant and always trying to pick fights and, I'm, a lot of you guys are like, okay, I hate you now. Uh, I'm sorry if this is bringing back any bad memories from your childhood as well. Um, and so I was always getting in trouble, and my mom, like, she had to kind of, I was like the guinea pig. Like, my brother never got in trouble, my sister never did, so she never really had to spank them much. Me, dude, she had, there had been some wrath stored up for years when I came along. <laughs> and my mom had this phrase that she would say, now imagine her saying this to like a young, arrogant, like quick-witted kid. She would tell me before she spanked me, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. To which I would respond, there's literally no way this could hurt you more than me. 
Nobody's whooping you. There's, I, it's not going to hurt your hand to do this. And that always helped the situation quite a bit. I felt like we, a lot of diplomacy in that moment. <laughs> um, but there's something about that that I remembered. I think, you know, it's all convoluted because we're, we're people and my mom is amazing, but she's a person too. And, and uh, there were times when maybe it hurt her more <laughs> than it did me. There are probably other times when she was like, okay, I'm about to wear him out. This is similar to what um, the Lord probably feels with us when he disciplines us. It's a silly analogy. But it gives us an idea of just like the heart of God for us. He actually loves it for us because it displays his love to us. Discipline. One of the best ways that you can discipline your kids is to say no to them. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Good friends say no. Enemies just say do whatever you want, no matter what consequences. God's discipline is how we get character. It's how we get love. It's how we get grace. It's how we get selflessness. His discipline isn't luck of the draw or dependent on the mood he's in. God, when he thinks of his kids, always has a smile on his face. His discipline is pointed, it's specific, it's not random, it's directly in line with how we need to grow into his love for us and our identity in his love. So how does he discipline us? Four ways. First and foremost, he disciplines us through his word. Through his word. Little kids can easily pick out their parents' voice in a crowd. Those of you who have little kids or who have babysat or teachers in the room, take little kids to a crowded room or field trip or whatever it is, and it's amazing how of all the kids, a parent can say their kid's voice and the kid will recognize their parents. All those voices around them, they'll recognize their parents. Isn't that weird? They're, they're trained. They know the tone. They know what's happening when their parents use a certain tone. And when your parent did like mine did and started using your full name, and then when it got real serious, they started using your middle name along with your full name. You recognize your parents' voice. We need the Bible to recognize God's voice. Some of us are chasing our tail trying to figure out why is God not speaking to us, and we don't actually ever go and have a conversation with him. This is God opening his mouth to us. And my fear is in the church that we somehow like started to replace the need for this because it seems so old school or it seems whatever it is. Like, I don't know what the deal is. But my, Lord, help us if we ever get to the place where church needs to be something other than being centered around the word of God. We need this book. God wrote it, and when we read it, it has a heartbeat. It is alive to us. I'm telling you, if you're married in the room, listen to me. I don't know what your marriage is like right now. I don't know what it's been like, but I can promise you 
some of your marriage problem and some of your sort of self-destruction in marriage has to do with how little time you spend in this book. We are all for counseling in this church. My goodness, we need counseling. Everybody on earth should go to counseling. We love them. I've been to counseling. I go when I need it. But if I go there first, if I go to people first and not here, then I've got my priorities out of whack. I'm putting the cart before the horse. You need the Bible. You need it. It's alive. Let it, let it breathe on you. Let it seep into your bones. The, the word of God talks about the word of God um, being refreshment to our bones. We need it. We know God's voice by reading, by eating this book, by digesting it. The struggle that we see a lot in ourselves and in this room, in the church, is the struggle to actually read the Bible, even when we don't feel like it. And I'm telling you right now, listen to me, I am preaching to myself. It's easy to forget how much we need this. Let's be people of the word. One of the reasons why marriages are out of whack and why we keep falling into sin or whatever is because we forgot about the two-edged sword that corrects us. So we need his word. How else does he discipline us? Through his spirit. God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes even in our semantics, we treat God the Holy Spirit like he's this thing that God sends out that's like only a messenger in some way. We ask God to send his spirit, which that's a good thing to ask, but I almost feel like our semantics get twisted up. We, we forget just how powerful God the Holy Spirit is. He is 100% almighty God. God the Holy Spirit is God, just like God the Father is God, just like God the Son is God. You need the help and power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need it in your house. You need to pray it in your house. You need the manifestation of the Spirit in your work. You need to pray for that as well. You need it in your relationships. And when you feel darkness in your life, which you will or you may be doing right now, you need to pray for the power of God the Holy Spirit. We need to be praying constantly for the gifts of the Spirit. We need to be a church that celebrates, that champions prophetic words in this church. Because the gifts are alive and active. The Holy Spirit is not on a vacation. He didn't have some special plan for the church in Acts and then all of a sudden just quit being the Holy Spirit. Every gift is available to us right now. He's God the Holy Spirit. You need his presence in your life. And I'm telling you, it is arrogant for us to think that we don't. We treat the Holy Spirit like he's the crazy uncle that comes, shows up at the party that nobody invited. And he's not. He's God Almighty. Take the risk. I know he's not like you. I know he doesn't look like what we grew up thinking or whatever, but we've got to be people that pursue him. We need it for our formation. We need his word. We need his spirit. We need his people. One of the ways God forms us is through his body. We need each other centered around the word. It's easy for us today 
to again put the cart before the horse because it's just far easier to think about church as community only. Um, it's a dangerous thing, man. We listen. We value community here. You kidding? Community groups are where the rubber meets the road for our church. We love it. We value it. But community can become an idol in our life, especially when they start replacing the work of the Spirit and the work of the Word of God in our life. In my life, I'm telling you, when big decisions or whatever come my way, the first thing I do is I go to people. And that's not right. I'm confessing. I need to go to the Spirit. I need to go to the Word of God. And then pull people in. We also need people around us because God has chosen to bring his kingdom on earth through people. So look around the room real quick. You don't know everybody here, but it's not by coincidence that you're here. There are people around you that God has literally put in that seat right now today to help you become more like Jesus. So don't just be a spectator in the church. Don't just attend church. Attend for a while and then quickly decide I'm gonna be here. Get into a community group. Don't expect your community group to be perfect because it's made up of people. Don't be a consumer in community groups. Don't go to a community group just because you need entertainment in your life and then judge the group based on how cool it was or how happy you were. If you're looking for a group that's perfect, as soon as you step in the door, it's gonna become unperfect. That's everybody. Let's not be consumers in the way that we treat each other. Let's just know that we need people, man, messy, moody, weird people that's what we need we need people to point out blind spots you have blind spots and so do I arrogance and blind spots go hand in hand and how you know that is when someone comes to you and they say, hey, brother, I love you. There's some things that you're doing that I think you need to change. I feel like you need to correct, maybe. These could be detrimental to your life. You, when you talk like this, you sound like this. Or when you do this, you sound like this. Or the way you treat your wife sometimes. How you handle your money, how you carry yourself. Those things. Now, what happened to you just now? Some of you started to cringe a little bit like, okay, this got a little weird. He's getting a little personal. And especially if I came to you personally or vice versa, your first response might be defense. So that's how we know that our pride is attached to it because we have convinced ourselves that we figured out how to live perfectly perfect in every way. And then when somebody comes in the picture and they start challenging our idea of perfection, then all of a sudden it's like, well, I wonder what's wrong with them. Because that all can't be right. I, I know a lot about this because I do this. So I could talk all day about it, nuanced. I could write like a 40-page document on this very thing. 
when the right posture of our heart, the right posture of our humility is when someone comes to you with a blind spot, really what we should say is, you know, I don't know if you're all if that's perfectly correct, because they're they're not always right. They're humans. But what I do know is that I can receive it because there's about a thousand things that you don't know about me anyway that I need to correct. That's self-awareness. That's humility. We need people, man. It's one of the ways that we grow. And we also are disciplined through our circumstances. We're disciplined through the word, through the spirit of God, through the people around us, and through circumstances. Life is crushing, man. And there's so much happening, and it all does come at once. It's never, it all happens at one time. Um, it is good for us to see that as God growing us, growing us up, God proving his love to us. We live in a broken world, and so because of the curse, there's always gonna be stuff coming at us. The good news is, is that God doesn't waste any of that. The Bible says he causes all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. So we can count it joy, men, when we encounter trials that are producing maturity in us. And it's just a sign that, like, man, I'm a son of God if I'm going through all this. 